Welcome to the Line Life Podcast. This is Jeff Postelwaite, Senior Editor for TND World. We're bringing you stories of the grit, courage, and inspirational teamwork that it takes to be a line worker. Our January 2023 episode spotlights DLC's grid modernization project in Pennsylvania. Two project team members share challenges and best practices on this large-scale transmission construction project. Hello and welcome to the Line Life podcast. My name is Amy Fishbach and I'm the field editor for Transmission and Distribution World magazine. For our January 2023 podcast, we're focusing on a project by Duquesne Light Company to upgrade century-old infrastructure in Pennsylvania. For this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with Jason Hartle, Senior Project Manager in the Operations Team for Duquesne Light. Nina Shu, General Manager Engineering, Duquesne Light Company. At the time of the interview, I caught up with Jason and Mina just as they were wrapping up the first phase of construction for the BI Crescent project. Since that time, Jason has left the company, but the new project manager said the crews are now moving into the second phase of the project. Phase two started last October and will be completed by May 2023. During this phase, crews are replacing 20 structures and about four miles of transmission wire circuit length. For this podcast episode, we're going to take a look at the start of the project, the challenges the crews faced in the field, and also the impact of the project on power reliability in the region. Jason and Mina, thank you so much for taking out the time to join us today for the Line Life podcast. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for hosting us. To begin, Jason, can you talk about the need to upgrade the country's electrical grid? As you know, our transmission system is critical to supplying safe and reliable electricity and electrical power to our communities throughout the Pittsburgh region. For Duquesne Light Company, we're committed to investing in critical infrastructure and new technologies, and we want to meet the increasing and evolving demand for energy that's in our service territory. Wonderful. Mina, is there anything you want to add to that? The circuits and infrastructure in our area is supported by equipment that is almost 100 years old. And so it's around the time where we need to think about replacement so that we can continue to be a resilient utility for our customers and provide reliable service. So this is an exciting project for us. And your project involves replacing more than 100 transmission towers along a 14.5 mile stretch between two substations. Can you go into more detail about the scope of the project? Sure. There's 99 steel monopoles that we're planning to build to replace the aging lattice towers that are on our property. And the majority of the new poles will have double 138 kilovolt vertical circuits. And a large portion of that scope is going to be creating and building the access roads and work pads in some pretty challenging areas. And then the current towers are more than a century old and nearing end of life. Can you talk about how the linemen would have originally constructed these towers without the heavy equipment and technology that we have today? Absolutely. In the past, line workers had probably a lot, very limited equipment. So they've done a lot more work by hand. They use horses, transport carts, wagons, and bare hands to erect and rivet steel members together. They built wood frames and metal frames to help climb towers and scaffolding. They had to carry material up and use pulleys. And a lot of the existing towers, they went mostly through farmland. So there was a lot of space for the line workers kind of to lay out equipment and do their job at that time. 
And then the linemen will be replacing the galvanized steel lattice structures with weathered steel monopoles. Talk about the advantages of having a smaller footprint for the new structures. Yeah, there's a lot of advantages for replacing our steel lattice uh, towers with weathering steel monopoles. The towers are a lot wider and they have four foundations each, but the new monopoles, the steel monopoles, they only have one foundation and their diameter is much smaller, much more narrow than a tower. So we have like a smaller footprint on the ground when we install these new structures. And Mina, what are some of the advantages of having that smaller footprint, do you think? Yeah, there's a lot of advantages. The main advantage is that it will require less maintenance for us over the next, you know, 50, 60 to 100 years. So the towers, they're, like I said, wider. They have four foundations. And if you take a look at some of the pictures, like there's a lot of members and hundreds or maybe thousands of bolts that have to be inspected. But with the new steel monopoles, there's only one foundation to inspect. There's not a lot of bolts to look at. You just have to take a close look at the monopole connections. And then one thing I want to also mention is that with the lattice steel towers, we have to constantly paint them to really prevent corrosion and make sure it can last longer. Um, but with the weathering steel monopoles, uh, they do not need to be painted at all. They naturally rust, and that helps to build that resistance to corrosion. So overall, this is a really good structure selection in terms of maintenance. And do you have these in other parts of your service territory? And why did you decide to use them on this particular line? Yes, so we have been replacing our towers with the same type of monopoles, weathering seal monopoles, and it really is advantage to us in our area. We're located in Pennsylvania and so and in the city, so there's like hills and valleys and narrow spaces. The monopoles are really the right solution for that kind of location. And the stack circuits will be further away from trees. And what are the benefits of placing them farther away from vegetation? Yeah, the existing line has two circuits side by side, and so it's a bit wider. And the new monopoles will have both circuits stacked on top. So all six wires and the shield wire are like in a column. And this is really advantageous to us because the trees will be further away from the lines. In other words, the wires are going to be above the tree line. And so if we do have a fallen tree, it will miss the wires. Jason, can you describe the process step-by-step -step of removing the towers and preparing the foundation for the new infrastructure? Sure, yeah, absolutely. First, we have to build access. So that involves temporary roads into the old towers in most areas. And then we demolish the old towers and foundations and basically down below the ground, the old foundations are grouted or, you know, are fully removed. And then we have a drill rig come in and they drill a shaft foundation to install a caisson a foundation there for the new poles. The anchor bolts and the concrete forms are set. We pour a new foundation and then we set the new pole. But so the high level process is pretty simple. Uh, but basically through kind of the size of these poles and size of equipment that's needed and that how critical the process is, you know, there's a lot of intricate steps we follow, but the overall process is simple. 
And the old towers are about 93 feet, and the new structures are about 155 feet. What are the design and construction considerations when installing the taller towers? It's a great question. We really received guidance from the National Electric Safety Code to make sure we meet all the minimum clearance requirements. We were changing the figuration. Like I mentioned before, it, they are horizontal, and now we're going to make them vertically stacked. So we really had to check all those clearances and make sure that we're, we're providing enough clearance beyond the minimum requirements. And we also took a look at like severe weather cases to make sure that we can have really strong structures that are resilient. Mina, what kind of severe weather do you get there? in Pennsylvania, and what are some of the design considerations to make them more resilient against that particular weather? Yeah, we get snow, we have wind, and so those are the top two main things to consider when we design our new monopoles and new structures, and the, the NESC code provides a lot of guidance on that, and we make sure that we meet those requirements. And can you talk about what state the project is in right now and what you still have left to work on and when you expect to energize the line? Sure. Yeah, absolutely, Amy. So currently, right now, we're in the construction phase of the project. Because of the size, we've broken it out into five different phases. We've just completed, you know, phase one area of the project. So that represents roughly 9% of the construction that we have to, to uh, complete. And we energized that section in May of 2022. With that first phase, you know, we're, we're now segueing into the next four phases of the project in terms of construction. So uh, that's how we're set up. We also have to schedule these right in the off-peak load sections of the year. So the high load demand in each summer kind of drives a lot of our schedule to be segmented into the, some of the fall and winter months for each phase. So what we're looking to kind of put a section of the line and area um, energized for each phase in, in each sequential spring up to 2027. Can you talk about the crews who are working on the project? How many linemen do you have out on the site and when are some of their responsibilities on the job? Absolutely. Yeah, our crew and our resource sizes do fluctuate as our project is progressing, but quite often we have fairly 20 contract personnel on property and three supervisors. Our contract personnel are kind of divided into 15, you know, roughly line workers, line worker crew with five civil support crew. Again, that varies depending on the amount of work we do try to, if we have to hit a milestone, we may, you know, increase manpower right but when we're looking to increase that as we hit some of these larger phases of construction as well and what contractors are you working with on this particular project we're working currently with the contractor jw did auto and uh, but we are looking to pull in some more contractors in the near future what are some of your best practices for managing a project of this size and scope to make sure that you finish it on time and also within budget well, that's a great question for a project manager. Our team mm -hmm. uses industry best practices, right, in terms of project management. We use detailed cost-loaded schedules, a lot of upfront planning so that we can involve all the stakeholders we need to and to make sure we have a sound approach. The schedule is key, right, in monitoring and tracking our progress and our um, make sure we're in alignment with our budget. And we also perform a lot of testing and site preparation to make sure we understand the existing site conditions out there up front to ensure, you know, our civil design are in good shape and to identify any risks um, 
So that we also have a lot of team meetings and we get together frequently, either virtually or in person, just to make sure the product's on track. And what are some special tools or technology or heavy equipment the linemen are using to perform the work safely and efficiently? For example, have you used any helicopters or drones on this project? Yes. Yeah, we have. We do use some special tools. And to be honest with you, when you're doing transmission line work, I would say there's a lot of special tools, right, in terms of the scale of the cranes, the lifts, you know, all those tools that our team are using. But in terms of kind of newer technology, our line worker crews have used some larger drill rigs. We've used the D500 light helicopter for pulling in lines. We've used some drones also for recording video the right away, uh, as well as doing some topography recording for uh, some of our civil work. So we are taking advantage of that new technology and uh, we may even look at using some heavy lift helicopters to fly pole sections into some of those hard to reach areas. So how much time do you think that saves, Jason? Because you were talking at the beginning about how these linemen were using horses, they're doing work by hand. How do you think if they were here today, they would feel about what the work the linemen are doing with the helicopters and drones? Well, I think they would appreciate the heavy equipment, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, yeah, I I think we have a, a focus now in today's world on safety. And I think that drives some more use of the equipment and the way we do things. So I believe our line workers appreciate that, you know, our focus on safety. I think they like designs that utilize equipment to allow them to remotely and work a little bit further from some of these heavy objects. Uh, I think we'll continue to use that, leverage that, right, to make sure we can do the job efficiently, faster. Um, And I do think there's a time savings, but in terms of what we're building compared to what was built 100 years ago, there's a big difference in terms of how strong it is. Absolutely. And let's talk a bit about safety. So how are you keeping your workers safe in the field on this job? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Our contractors are are excellent at uh, keeping everyone safe. We stress that with our contractors. Duquesne Light has expectations that are set forth by our safety department. And then we basically flow those down to our contractors. We evaluate their safety programs. And we make sure that those contractors have daily pre-job briefs where they identify all the hazards that are out there in the field. It's worked well, you know, in most of our, our large transmission projects, we've, all our contractors have performed very well. And I wanted to add that even through the design process, we thought about, you know, how to make the construction activity safer. And so that's why we find and plan to build access roads so that the large equipment and trucks and all the materials can be transported and unloaded and the line workers can complete the work safely. So that's something that we thought about during the design phase to really make sure that safety is priority. That's wonderful, Mina. Thank you so much. And then when you're building that many monopoles, I imagine it's across a very wide area of land. How do you deal with challenges, whether they're environmental, whether they're dealing with wildlife or any other, you had mentioned that you're building them in kind of tight areas, maybe urban areas. How are you dealing with some of these challenges and what are some of your best practices for such a big project? There's always challenges with projects in terms of this one, because of the linear distance, like you mentioned, a lot of our towers are just difficult access areas. What this means for our project is it's going to take a little bit longer. And we've incorporated that, I think, into the schedule appropriately, 
but we realize that it's going to take some time to carefully plan um, in detail, you know, each section of work. So we have all of that laid out in the schedule, but as each section comes in, there's a lot of planning that comes in to make sure that we can do it safely. Those challenges that you mentioned, we've run into some of them already in construction and you make sure that in a project like this that you plan for it right you identify those risks you have them mitigated and we deal with them as we work and we also try to work with each of the property owners right as well that we're kind of impacting and working on their property and just to mention too i know you asked about environmental impacts and we do upfront and all the planning on work with consultants to ensure that they map out all the wetland and natural resources on our project area and we work with permitting with the DEP very closely, so. Yeah, this was a really challenging project. There's a lot of complexity to it, not just the design and build, but we have our customers as well, like Jason mentioned. So it was really important to us to work with the communications team and real estate and right of way and really get everyone involved to make sure that we cover every aspect and every community group to make this project successful. And what were some lessons that your company learned from this project that you can apply to other jobs? In terms of our lessons learned from this project, uh, we're going to have a lot of takeaways, I'm sure, you know, in this first phase of construction, there's some important lessons learned, but in particular, this one from phase one during the timing of our construction, like I mentioned, we have to build civil access roads and work pads during the winter months. And uh, in terms of phase one, we knew it would take some time and move kind of slowly, but uh, despite even having that accounted for in the schedule, we still ran into poor soils and other things that just slowed us down. We've captured that lesson learned and we're looking to mitigate that, make sure that we adequately plan for working through those winter months and further out in the project. And when you do energize the line, how do you think it will impact power reliability in the region? This is a great question, and I think I'm a little biased if, when I answer this because my background is in overhead line design, but I think that transmission lines are the backbone of the grid. You know, the high voltage lines transfer power from one substation to another across like huge, large distances. And so when we complete this project and energize the line, we are ensuring that we can continue to deliver our safe and reliable power and really hope that this line will support the grid for maybe another 100 years, just like the um, previous line did. Great. And Jason, do you have any other comments? In closing, I guess that there, I just want to sum up and say there's a lot of moving parts to a project of this size. We really appreciate our customer support and patience during the process and the project. In the end, it's really a long-term investment that's better going to position Duquesne Light Company to provide safe and reliable service to all the customers in our territory for the next 100 years. With the growing focus on electrification and renewable generation, I think this project also helps lay the foundation or the backbone, like Mina said, for coming grid changes in Western PA. Jason and Mina, thank you so much for taking the time to do an interview for the Line Life podcast. We wish you the best of luck as your field crews continue to work on the new line in Pennsylvania. Yeah, thank you, Amy. Thank you. This episode of the Line Life podcast was written and recorded by Amy Bishbach. It was produced by Jeff Bolstelay. That's me. To read the full article titled Line Workers Replace Century-Old Infrastructure, 
which appeared in the August 2022 issue of TNE World Magazine, please visit our website. To listen to past episodes, go to www.tneworld.com backslash podcasts or Anchor FM. You can also drop us a voice memo or message at limelifepodcast, all one word, at gmail.com with your comments on this episode. Please follow this show to be updated when new episodes are released and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Head to the show description and see where you can find us on social media. Thanks for listening to the Line Life Podcast.